It is a great privilege to be at Huntington First Baptist Church. Excited to get to worship with you guys this morning. And great song. That's, you know, if you can't preach after that, then you just you got problems, you know. Think about how, uh, how wonderful it is to say the name of Jesus. You can say it over and over and over again and not be done. I'd not have said it enough. And I, as we were singing it, I was thinking about my grandson. I have a beautiful wife and two wonderful daughters and one perfect grandson. <laughs> He's three. He calls me Doc. And uh, y'all know how it is. It's Doc, 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 Doc. And I just turn him and go, Jackson, 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 Jackson. And uh, he doesn't get tired of saying my name, and I don't get tired of saying his. You know, we enjoy that. And, and I, don't, I don't get tired of hearing my name come from him. And I know the Lord does not get tired of hearing his name come from his people. So it's good to worship with you this morning. And thank you for this opportunity uh, to be here, but, but also... Um, to let you know, it really is an honor for me to, to have this position as the uh, Interim Director of Missions for the Unity Baptist Association. And uh, I've, I've got two weeks in right now, so uh, I don't know much. I don't, I don't know what I don't know at this point. But uh, I believe in the work of the association because the association is uh, this belief among churches that we, do, we can do more together than we can do on our own. Uh, and, and so we value the cooperation and the fellowship of the churches. And, and we value every church within the association because while together we, we can do things that we can't do um, on our own, there are also things that only you can do that no other church can do. You're here for a reason. This church is here for a very specific purpose. There are ministries and things that only you can do. Uh, as the First Baptist Church of Huntington. And so we believe that God's going to use you to reach people and, and also that he's going to use us to reach people. And so we work together and we fellowship together and we cooperate together and we know that we need one another. Um, we need all the churches and the churches all need one another. We are not in this alone, even as a member needs the other members of the body. To, uh, to be all that God has called you to be, that the churches, we need all the churches of the body to be all that God has called us to be. So uh, I'm excited about this opportunity to, to get uh, going with uh, this association here and, uh, and really looking forward to what God's going to do in the future. And I'm also excited to get to know your pastor. Uh, I guess uh, Brother Daryl and I have known each other now for two months, and uh, I have learned that he has a fantastic sense of humor. And I know that, I know that because when, when I was interviewing with the committee, there were a couple of things that I said that he was the only one that laughed at. So he must have a fantastic sense of humor and all those other people have none. That's the only way I can explain that because he, he got my jokes and that may reveal more about me than I wish to share. So let's look, let's look at the book of Acts chapter 3. Book of Acts chapter 3, the book of Acts is the story of the church. It's the story of the church at work, the early church. And in chapter 3, we've just had the day of Pentecost. And you remember what happened at the day of Pentecost? There were literally thousands of people that came to faith. And you can imagine 
what it must have been like for the disciples, the, the early followers who were the leaders of this church, to now have to figure out what do we do with 5,000 people? How do we start discipling and growing and building this group? And that was a, a challenge. Um, you know, we look around and um, as pastors, sometimes we think, well, if we have a, you know, a great week, maybe, a, maybe it's a great VBS or a youth camp or some other great event that happens in church where we have a lot of people saved and we have 10 or 15 or 20 get saved. And then we think, man, how am I going to get all of them involved in the life of the church? Well, these guys had 5,000 to get involved. What a challenge, right? And so wisely for them, maybe because they knew they needed the help of the Lord, and maybe in part because they knew just to keep their sanity, they went to regular prayer in the temple because they were still, as they saw themselves, Jews. They were what we might today call completed Jews. They had come to the end of Judaism where they knew now this is what it was all been about all this time. It's been about Christ coming, and so they are going still to the temple for one of their regular prayer times. The Jews would pray three times a day, ritually at the temple, at nine and at three, and then at sunset. And so this is where they're going, and that's where we pick up the story in Acts chapter three, as Peter and John are headed to the temple. It says in verse one, now Peter and John were going up together to the temple complex at the hour of prayer at three in the afternoon. And a man who was lame from birth was carried there and placed every day at the temple gate called Beautiful, so he could beg from those entering the temple complex. When he saw Peter and John about to enter the temple complex, he asked for help. Peter, along with John, looked at him intently and said, Look at us. So he turned to them, expecting to get something from them. But Peter said, I don't have silver or gold, but what I have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ the Nazarene, get up and walk. And then taking him by the right hand, he raised him up. And at once his feet and ankles became strong. So he jumped up, stood, and started to walk. And he entered the temple complex with them, walking, leaping, and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God. And they recognized that he was the one who used to sit and beg at the beautiful gate of the temple complex. So they were filled with awe and astonishment at what had happened to him. Let's pray together. Father, we pray this morning that you would take your word and by your spirit you would use it in our lives. Lord, that we would hear what you are saying to the church, what you are saying to us. Lord, that we would hear your spirit speak clearly from your word today so that we might know how to follow you better, how to be more faithful, how to find you and how to see the lost. In your name we pray. Amen. So Peter and John are going to the temple complex. It was something that they did on a regular basis, right? Three times a day they would go there to pray. And there was a man there who was brought there on a regular basis. It says that, that this man in verse 2 was lame from birth, had been carried there and placed every day at the temple gate called Beautiful so he could beg from those entering. This makes sense, doesn't it? People are going in to worship you're laid there, maybe they're, they're feeling generous or guilty. Which one, right? Doesn't matter if you're asking for money. You don't really care why they give. You just want the cash. He's asking and, and people are giving or they're not giving. And he's there every day. Now think about this. You go someplace three times a day, every day. 
You ever stop seeing things? You know, you just drive and you just, you don't. I remember there, there are times, that, and I've said this, you know, there are places where I go where I don't even remember going sometimes. You end up there and you go, I don't even really remember driving. I just, I know my truck kind of knew where to go and I just kind of rode along in it. You know, it just kind of went that and you, you don't see things. And, and certainly that was the case for Peter and John and most of the people there, right? They just went into the temple and they knew this guy was there because there were a lot of other people there and they, they didn't really notice him. Most people didn't. Most people just walked on by. He was there every day, three times a day. You forget that he's there. I was uh, just uh, last week, I was in North Florida in Panama City where uh, Hurricane Michael came across a couple of months ago. And one of the things that uh, it's probably one of the most devastated areas I've ever seen in my life, literally every pine tree over, over two inches in diameter is snapped off about 15 feet high. Uh, if you were to tell me there were a million trees taken down by that, I would say you're, you're probably low when you're guests. I mean, unbelievable. Uh, oak trees laid over with big, huge root balls. And one of the things the pastor of the church we're working with there said is, is it, it's really hard for the people that have lived here for a long time because all of their landmarks are gone. The, the things that they're used to seeing at places, and it's almost like they don't know where they live anymore because it all looks so different. Well, you get used to seeing those things and you, you kind of become immune to them, not realizing it until suddenly they're all gone. Well, this guy, he's there and everybody sees him all the time and they forget about him. But Peter and John, this time in, by the prompting of the Holy Spirit, I think it's clear, by the prompting of the Holy Spirit, they see this man. They, they see him. Now, I want to submit to you that I think this was an unseen man. But they see that unseen man. And even beyond that, they speak to him. Look what happens. It says in verse 3 that when Peter and John are about to enter the temple complex, he asks for help, which is what he does over and over and over again, right? In verse 4, Peter, along with John, looked at him intently and said, look at us. This is not the way you do things. Now, I know in Texas, we look at each other, don't we? When we're, you're walking down the street, you look at people in the eye, right? You might nod, you might say hello, good morning, how you doing? You don't expect them to really give you their life history, you're just being friendly, right? Even I grew up in West Texas, in West Texas, when you're driving down the highway, and, and what do you do when you're driving down the highway and another car comes this way? You raise two fingers, you know, hey, one finger, depending on how happy I am. I'll never, you know, the, not the good one finger. You do that, you wave to them, and they wave back, right? Because we're friendly. But you know, in, in many places in the world, and especially in the Middle East, you do not look people in the eye. And, and especially if you're a beggar, you do not look up. Your head is down, your hand is out. Peter looked at him intently that's with intention with purpose right he looked at him on purpose and he said to him look at us you hear what peter just did for this beggar who's been laid there every single day of his life right he's been lame from birth so every day of his life he's been laying outside the temple complex with his hand out 
someone said, look up at me. Look. Wow. It's really unusual for somebody to request that. That's not the normal way you do things. The fact is, most people are so busy going to pray that they don't have time to stop. They, they drop something and never break stride. If they're going to give, even they never break stride and you just pick it up off the ground. And you know, lots of people are going to the temple. If, if I stop to have a conversation with you, I miss five or six other people that just walk by. I don't have time for that. Let me tell you that it's important to see people. Especially at this time of year. It's really important to see people. Now, I know you're like, well, I can see people. I'm looking at people all around me, right? But I don't, I don't just mean to see them. I mean to look in, with intention, with purpose. And see people. You know that Christmas is one of the most depressing time of the year for many people. Some of you even, you've experienced loss at Christmas. And, and the joy that you're supposed to have, you almost feel bad because you don't feel the joy. Loneliness. This is my first Christmas uh, day without my oldest daughter at our house for Christmas Day because she got married back in November to some boy and they live in the Fort Worth area and she's not coming down for because she has a job that she only gets one day off and so she can't come in and uh, I'm going to be lonely I mean you know the rest of the family's there but you know she's not going to be there it's going to be tough probably be tough for her too you know there are a lot of people that experience deep sense of loneliness at Christmas let me urge you at this time of year, in the going about of your business, you know, going to school, going to work, just around the neighborhood, going shopping, whatever it is, to not get in such a hurry that you don't see people, that you're willing to, to look at people. And part of this for Peter and John was that they weren't just seen with their eyes, right? They were seen with Holy Spirit eyes. The Spirit is telling them, and you know, the Spirit is clearly leading them to talk to this man. That's obvious from what happens next, right? That means they're open to the leading, the prompting of the Holy Spirit. So be open to the leading and the prompting of the Holy Spirit so that when you are looking at people, you see them not just as the person who's in your way or the person in line in front of you that's making you wait five more minutes but as a person for whom Jesus died, for whom the baby Jesus was born and laid in a manger, a person who he loves, and a person who may need somebody today to see them. And then, if we can for just a minute, think about the, the people that are not in the story really yet. Peter and John are going to pray, right? But they're not going by themselves to pray by themselves. They're no doubt going to meet other people that are praying also, 
Right? Everybody's going in, but, but they've got the group of other believers that they're going to pray with in the temple complex. No doubt, right? And, and i just like to kind of, can I just supposition a little bit here? Can we just take a little uh, artistic license, let's call it? If I was writing the movie of this story, here's what I would talk about. Those people inside that are going, where are they? Supposed to have been here five minutes ago. Peter and John. What are they doing? Probably got caught up on Jerusalem 59, you know. Traffic's bad today, I know. Can't get in. I, I mean, I hope something didn't happen to him. It better not have. Oh, man. I can't believe they are late. They are never. What is wrong with it? What is that noise outside? What are people making so much noise? This is a place of prayer, and they're making all that noise. What is, you know what I mean? Those people that are inside to pray that are very concerned about all the ruckus outside and that people didn't show up on time. I want to, to share with you just to, to think just for a minute, to not be overwhelmed by the tyranny of appearing to be spiritual, especially at Christmas time. You see, what we should value here is relationship, not ritual. Now, I love Christmas and I love the Christmas songs and the Christmas services and I love Christmas Eve is probably one of my favorite services of the entire year. But let's remember that it is about relationship. It's not about ritual. It is about knowing him and loving him, not about performing the services. And a lot of times that happens, doesn't it? At Christmas, we kind of get caught up in wanting to do. Do you all have Christmas traditions at your house? And sometimes you find that you're having to squeeze those traditions in. One of ours is we watch It's a Wonderful Life. Last year, we just turned it on. Then we, we were cooking and stuff, and the movie was just playing. And <laughs> we didn't really watch it, you know, but it was on, so we did it. But boy, in church, we get into that sometimes, don't we? Where the ritual becomes more important than who Jesus is. I went to church. I showed up for prayer. I hope you're happy, God. Be careful about that. Peter and John knew that it really it wasn't about... Their prayer life, it was about their life with Christ, and their prayer was a part of their life with Christ, but that prayer was not important, more important than their life with Christ. Does that make sense? Prayer is not more important than your life in Christ. It's a part of your life with Christ. See, that's, that relationship brings freedom, not judgment. That relationship brings joy in just being, not where we only experience joy when we accomplish something. That relationship brings peace, not just quiet. And that relationship is lived in knowing God and following Him and being known by Him, not just doing things for Him. Be careful that you don't get trapped in just doing things for him. It's not to say that, that doing things is wrong. It is to say that we have to keep them in right perspective, right? We have to remember what we're doing it for, what the, what the function of it is. It's not wrong to pray. It's wrong to think that just by uttering words you have prayed and that God is pleased. The solution is not to do the ritual harder. The solution is to love God. 
and focus on relationship. Too many times we judge other people and we judge ourselves by how often we have attended and not thinking about what is my walk. We feel good because we showed up. We got a perfect attendance pin. So we're good, right? But if I don't know Jesus, if if I'm not more deeply in love with him, what was the point, right? So, that relationship then expresses itself in the ministry. That's what they do, right? When we see the world the way Christ does, when we become his eyes and his ears, his hands, his feet, when we do that, then we'll be his ministers. We'll be on mission for him. The the church is supposed to be doing that, right? This ministry is the heart of the work of the church. Being the hands and feet of Christ is the heart of what it means to be a believer, and that is the essence of what it means to be church. Never replace the ministry with the ritual. Never replace the ministry with the ritual. Rituals have their place, I guess, but church is formed to be the body of Christ to do ministry. That's why we're here. If, if your idea of following Christ is being in church on Sunday and it ends at noon, you have missed the Christian life. You've missed it. Peter and John are on their way to pray, but the ritual was not before the ministry, was it? They couldn't say, I'm sorry, we can't help you. We've got to go pray. It is the essence of what James says when he talks about, don't just say, well, peace, be good, and then go on. Do the ministry. That's what's most important. So then let's look at what happens, okay? He turns to them, verse 5, it says, he turns to them, he thinks, well, I'm going to get something. They asked me to look at him, I'm looking at them, they must be going to give me a big offering, right? Verse 6, but Peter said, I don't have silver or gold. Now, that had to be disappointing. I mean, just think about it, right? He looked up, expecting, and Peter, the first thing Peter says when he looks at him, you know, I don't have any money. <laughs> and I'm looking at you because Why? Right? We're having this conversation because of what? You don't have any money. What are we doing here? Unfortunately, too many times, as believers, individually, and as the church, that is the end of our statement. We just don't have any resources. We don't have any money. We don't have enough people. We don't have, we don't, we don't, we don't. It'd be a shame if the story ended there. It'd really kind of be a bummer of a story, wouldn't it? Wouldn't be probably included in Scripture if that was where the story ended, would it? So I don't have silver or gold, but what I have, I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ the Nazarene, get up and walk. Now know this, Peter was speaking by the leadership of the Holy Spirit. This was God's work. This was not Peter declaring this guy could walk. Peter did not heal this man. The Lord healed this man through using Peter as his instrument. But he spoke these words that God had led him to. God clearly led Peter and John to stop, to talk to the man, and to give him this invitation to get up and walk. Right? 
Clearly, God spoke to them. Now, let me just say this. If God speaks to you, if you know God is leading you, and this doesn't have to be some, you know, sky riding, some, you know, airplane flying up there and saying, go talk to that person, you know. You know when God leads you to speak. You know when God prompts you to talk to somebody. When God prompts you to speak to someone, believe that he does it for a reason, for a purpose, that he wants to accomplish something. And don't just say, you know, I'd really love to help you, but I don't have anything. I don't have any silver or gold, but you know what I do have? I got Jesus. And he's better. He's better than all of that other stuff. I got Jesus. Yeah, I don't have money. Church, look. There are things you can do. I was at First Baptist Church in Jacksonville, Florida. They're sitting in their brand new 9,000 seat auditorium that they'd paid for with cash. And their pastor, Jerry Vine, said, our church functions so well, our processes are so efficient that we could probably go six months without the Holy Spirit and not realize it. But we wouldn't do church. He knew that they, they had resources and they could go for a while without Jesus. But he also knew it wasn't going to last and it wasn't going to make any eternal difference. His point was, we need Jesus all the time, but we have Jesus. So, so we might look around and go, well, we don't have the resources to do that. Well, if God's leading you, does God have the resources? If God's leading you individually to help someone, and you say, well, I don't know how I'm going to do that, but is God leading you to do it? Does he have the resources? Yeah. You say, well, I don't know what to say. Does God know what to say? Yeah. I don't know what to do. Does God know what to do? Yes. Peter and John said, we don't have silver and gold. I know that's what you're here for, but, but we're not poor. We're not in poverty. Folks, the church is not poor that has Jesus. The church is not poor that has the Holy Spirit. We are not in poverty. So I'll give you what I have. And they gave him what they have. They gave him exactly what he needed under the leadership of the Holy Spirit. They gave him what he needed. We must be willing to step out and be obedient, to take that step of, of faith, of following, of going where God leads us. We've got to be willing to do that. Peter's got all he needs, so he, he gives him Jesus. The name of Jesus is sufficient, right? What a beautiful name. The name of Jesus. His name is sufficient. Because that means his person, who he is, his work. Everything that God is and everything that God desires is sufficient for everything that you need and everything he calls you to do. God will not call you to a ministry that he will not equip you to accomplish. Every single time he will do that. The challenge before us is to realize that when Jesus puts us in a place to minister, he will be faithful. He will provide. That's our challenge. God will be faithful. Then I want you to see something in uh, verse 7. It, it's just a, a little phrase, but I think it's a beautiful little phrase in verse 7. Then taking him by the right hand, he raised him up. You know what he did? He reached down and took this lame man, this beggar, he took his hand. He didn't just say, get up. He reached down and took his hand. He was about to go in the temple. 
You don't do that. You don't risk becoming unclean if you're going to enter into the temple. There is great significance in human touch. Great power in human touch. Putting an arm around somebody's shoulder. Holding their hand. There are times when words are insufficient. Presence and touch accomplish things that words sometimes cannot. Peter and John didn't just tell him about Jesus. They didn't just teach and preach. They didn't just talk about ministry. They did it. They got involved. And you know what that meant? They got dirty. Hands got dirty. You think this guy's hands were clean? I think he just put, what is it, Purell or whatever all over him, you know? I don't think so. He reached down and got dirty, didn't he? And they took him into the prayer hall. You see that? Took him by the right hand. At once his feet and ankles became strong. So he jumped up, stood, and started to walk. And he entered the temple complex with them. They took this beggar, this lame man, unclean, unseen, grabbed him by the hand, lifted him up, and walked in to the temple with him. And I tell you what, I don't doubt that there were some people in the temple that were a little put out with that. You know? God's making a lot of noise because look what it says. He's walking, leaping, and praising God. All the people saw him walking and praising God. So he says it in verse 8, and then he says it again in verse 9, as if you didn't hear it in verse 8. This guy was happy, wasn't he? How long had he been lame? His whole life. How many times had he walked? Never. Never had he walked. You see, when God healed him, he healed him completely. He not only gave him the strength and the fortitude to be able to walk, but he taught him how, in an instant, to walk. And they walked right in. Walked right in. And there were people going, what is all the noise we're trying to pray? Ungrateful, irreverent, right? Tell you what, some people will silently and some not so silently chide you for doing ministry. You didn't do it right. You could have done it better. You could have done this instead of that. Most often, those people aren't doing anything, but they know how everybody else ought to do something. I always tell them that I, I prefer the way I do ministry to the way you don't do ministry. You know? But I'll tell you, if you're going to minister to other people, you're going to get dirty because you've got to get involved in their life. You've got to, if you're going to be willing to see people, then be willing to listen to their story and be involved in what's happening. Because that's what's required if we're going to be in ministry. And there is no substitute for spending time with people and getting to know them and live with them and love them even after you got to know them. It's a lot easier to love them if you don't know them. After you get to know them, you still love them. And then, 
What happens when the church is involved in ministry? There is great joy. Great joy. You see this guy, right? He's walking, leaping, and praising God. He's happy. But look at verse 10. They recognized that he was the one who used to sit and beg at the beautiful gate of the temple complex. So they were filled with awe and astonishment at what had happened. Once they realized what's going on, you know who that guy is. That's that guy that sits outside. The, which guy? The guy that's been out there for his whole life every day. What guy are you talking about? I've never seen that guy. The guy that's he's been there every day. That guy. Wow. God did that. You realize that awe and astonishment didn't show up in the prayer meeting until the healing happened? That's when everybody got excited. When the healing happened, then suddenly now, now we're worshiping, right? Like the best days in church. The best days in church are when we see people get saved, isn't it? The best days in church are when we hear the testimonies of healing. The best days in church are when we see families restored. The best days in church are when we see marriages healed. Those are the best days in church. When, when we see the hand of God working, those are the best days in church, aren't they? Those are the days we really remember. When we see God at work, those are the days that get us excited about going back again. You see, when we're involved in ministry, we see the hand of God moving. And when we come together, it's just better. Everybody came in and nobody had bothered to care anything about anybody. We all just lived our own little insular lives, selfish, just caring about ourselves and taking care of me, mine, mine. If that's all we did and we showed up together, it would be miserable. It might be okay the first week, but then you'd have to sit by people. And my goodness, those people... You know, and then you'd have to look at them, and they might even want you to talk to them. Oh, my gosh, we're going to have to talk to people, too? What is going on here? After a while, you just, everybody just become more and more closed. And church would become miserable. Boy, when we look at other people, and we love them, and we take care of them, and God moves through our life, and we do ministry, and we begin to see the hand of God move, we can't wait to come to church, because I wonder what God's going to do this week. And you know what? He didn't do anything through me this week that I saw, that I know about, but I know he did something somewhere. Somebody has got a story to tell. I can't wait to see what God's going to do. Those are the best days of church, aren't they? See, you want the best days of church? I want to challenge you to do two things. One, see people. See people. Look at them. Let God lead you this week. Think about it now. Here you go. This week, let God lead you to see somebody. Maybe even somebody that you know, somebody in your family. Or maybe it's somebody sitting outside the store. Or somebody in line in front of you at McDonald's. I don't know, somewhere, somebody, let God show you and look at people and then do this, love them with your arms open wide. Love them with your arms open wide. You see, we can't love people like this. If you're going to love people, you're going to have to love them like this. With your arms open wide. And whatever God leads you to do, wherever God leads you to go, whoever God leads you to talk to, whoever God leads you to listen to, 
love them with your arms open wide. Now, that's tough because I want to tell you there are going to be people that are your friends that are going to ask you, why are you doing that? And somebody in your family is going to go, what is wrong with you? And maybe even somebody in your church who wasn't here today, right, is going to question. But love God more. So I'll love people anyway. I'll see them and I'll love them with my arms open wide. That's our challenge. See people this week and love them with your arms open wide. Isn't that what Christmas is? Christmas is our Heavenly Father seeing us right where we are in all of our misery and all of our junk and loving us with his arms open wide. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for today. I thank you for your word that speaks truth to us, your word that challenges us, your word that opens our eyes and our hearts to your will. And Lord, I pray this week that you will open our eyes to see people. And I pray that you'll open our arms open wide to love them. And it's so tempting around this time of year to get selfish and to think about us and ours. But Lord, you didn't do that. That's why we celebrate this. So Lord, open our eyes and open our arms this week. Is God speaking to you this morning? If there's a decision that you need to make, or maybe someone that you need to pray for, maybe even as I was preaching this morning, you thought of somebody that God showed you this week. And you know you need to love them. You know somebody needs to. And God showed them to you. I want to invite you to come and speak with the pastor here or come to the altar and pray. Asking for God's leadership and God's direction. Asking for God to open your eyes this week. Asking for God to open your arms. Or maybe you're one of those that, that feels unseen. Maybe you wonder if God can see you. Let me assure you that God sees you. God knows you. God loves you. You've got a decision to make. You just want to come and pray. You come this morning. Father, we give you this time now. Your invitation extended. We come to you. We come to you in Jesus' name. Amen.